Fabulous, fabulous, beautiful, beautiful Monday. I have to check my phone just to make sure that it is a Monday. Days are passing by so quickly. So it is a brilliant Monday. Hope everyone is doing it fantastically. Welcome to another episode of Rethink Culture, where culture science is explored from three prong perspective because the way that we exist, we exist from a three perspective how we are at home is exactly how we are at he- at work and in schools and that's exactly how we are in our societies as a whole uh, today I've got a very very special guest with me and she is Wendy Daly who is a HR enthusiast and she's doing phenomenal stuff in the HR space welcome Wendy Thank you, Mila. I am so excited to be here tonight. I'm glad we finally got it to work. Um, right. We did have a little hiccup, a little scheduling glitch, but we're here now, and that's the important thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's such an honor to have you. So let's talk a little bit about you first before we dive into the topic. And I know that today we're going to be speaking about DEI in the recruitment space. But before we get into it, tell us a little bit about who Wendy is, um, why did you get into the HR space, and what is HR Social Hour all about? <laughs> That's a large question. Um, I actually, I am one of those people, um, and you don't hear about them very much anymore, but I'm one of those people that fell into HR. Um, I was uh, on a path, I thought I wanted to be an attorney, um, did paralegal work for a little bit, didn't like it. And I was living in Denver and I was single and I was young. And so I decided I wanted to work for the airlines. And so I went to work for a couple of different airlines out of Denver, did customer service, did behind the scenes baggage claim stuff. Um, But my boss in baggage claim, his wife worked in recruitment for, uh, for this airline and she had an opening. And he said, I think you would be good at this, Wendy. You should interview and got me an interview. And within a month, I was recruiting um, baggage claim people, customer service, reservation agents. This was back when you had to call to make (laughs) an airline reservation. Um, There was no such thing as going online back then. Um, But I recruited all of them. And that was my first foray into recruitment and um, really enjoyed it and did a little bit there, kind of dabbled in online applications. We were getting ready to launch that when um, 9-11 hit. And so that uh, that project was shelved. Um, I was laid off and um, kind of lost for a little bit, but I ended up staying in the recruitment area. That really was kind of my forte. Um, I've worked for a couple of different um, healthcare systems. I've worked for higher ed now and excuse me. Um, I did generalist work for a little bit, but I'm back in TA and <laughs> that's, that's the area I like. I like helping people. I like making that connection, helping. Um, and right now I'm helping an organization um, figure out how to make better connections and how to put information out there to get the right candidates for the right job. Um, you know, we can't, we got to be a little more strategic about that. So I'm excited to be um, deep diving into that. Um, social hour kind of came out of, um, me joining Twitter. <laughs> it actually did come out of me joining Twitter. I got a chance, <laughs> um, 
got on Twitter. Um, I was probably bored. I'll, I'll admit it. <laughs> but uh, I was on Twitter and found the next chat that um, Sherm, the Society for Human Resource Management, um, they used to host uh, our chat every Wednesday. And it was there that I met um, John Thurman, my podcasting um, partner, and got to know each other. We met in real life um, in DC at a national conference, just happened to run into each other, happened to be at the same hotel, uh, you know, all the odds and um, didn't really think much of it. But the following year, when neither one of us could go to that conference again, we were having a bit of a, oh, woe is me. We're missing out. Everyone else is having so much fun. And we decided to have our own Twitter chat and we called it Not at Sherm and invited, hey, if you're not at Sherm, or if you are at Sherm, come and join us. <laughs> and we had a we had a lot more people show up than we expected. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about what we were missing and what we liked about conferences. That led to a monthly chat. And that fall, John called me and he's like, I really want to start a podcast. I want to start an HR podcast, but what should it be about? Uh, we didn't want to be just another HR podcast out there talking about all, you know, all the laws and all the regulations. And um, I, I was at a leadership conference and one of the themes was that people want to belong and people want to connect and people want to be together. And so John and I talked about that and that kind of hit both of us that that's really what we wanted to talk about. We wanted to introduce HR people to other HR people and build connections and build relationships. And so we started interviewing friends, people who were involved in our Twitter chat. And uh, honestly, we thought we'd get maybe 50 episodes out of it. Um, we are nearing, um, I think we're at 120, 125 official yeah. episodes. Uh, we're getting close to probably uh, 150, 170 maybe um, unofficial total episodes because we have special episodes that don't count, that don't count. So um, yeah, here we are. And we, uh, as long as it keeps being fun, and I'm sure you kind of agree with that, Mila, you know, as long as it's fun and people are enjoying what we're doing, we're going to keep doing it. And, you know, with uh, since COVID, we've added a trivia night, we've added some movie watch nights and just other opportunities to, to get together and um, see each other. Even though we can't be face to face right now, we yeah. can still see each other. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's such a, a brilliant and beautiful story and journey. Right. It's it's a lot of the times when you ask people, oh, how do you get into HR? And they go into, oh, I started, I've got an MBA. I've got a PhD. I don't even know if people have PhD in HR, but MBA <laughs> yeah. in, in HR. And they go into this whole story about, you know, um, like my paper qualification validates. And then they don't really go into what HR means. It's very black and white for them. But that's the, the true beauty, right? That's the true beauty of diversity. You came from a from a diverse, diverse background. Um, uh, that's what diversity is all about. You know, people often have a very singular lens of diversity, but they say, oh, it's race, it's gender, but it's more than that. It's diversity of thought, diversity of journey that compounds to and catalyzes how you reflect and strategize and design programs and your communities not just at the workplace but even in schools and even in your community a lot of people can't relate that or or connect those dots together when it comes to diversity but that's the, the beauty of it 
when you are in diverse situations or experiences, it really triggers that the essence in you, that creativity in you. That brings us to talk about, you know, DEI efforts in recruitment. <clears throat> so to start off the conversation, let's talk about, you know, what is recruitment? What does the process look like? And let's start with look like first, and then we can expand it to global status. But let's, what does recruitment process look like uh, from your experience and from your insight? Yeah, you, you know, I think the, the thing that's interesting about recruitment is essentially the process is the same as it's been um, for the 20 years that I've, I've been doing this. You know, people put in, you, you put out a job ad in, in some way, shape or form. People submit a resume and or an application. Um, and, and I say and because sometimes we say, give me your resume and then now fill out this long application. Um, they go through a, a some sort of screening process, which usually involves a recruiter or um, if it's small, you know, some office manager looking at it and saying, do you meet minimum qualifications? You go to the hiring manager. They decide if they're going to interview you. Um, the interview may or may not be structured <laughs> depending on the size of the organization and what their processes are. Um, and then they go into an offer. And, you know, I was actually, I was reading about um, some of this, this today and it's just, man, everyone just, we just, we still just have that exact same process and we get it wrong a lot. <laughs> Can I clap that? Yes. <laughs> you know, we look at, okay, I want someone with five years of experience, but what does that mean? What do those five right. years mean? Um, have you, you could have five years of the exact same year of experience. You know, you haven't grown, you haven't done anything more. You're not, you know, pushing the envelope. Um, you're not trying something different. You're just going in, doing the same thing day after day. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you enjoy. If that's what you want to do, we need people who can come in and do the job and, you know, um, and go home and be happy. That's, those are, there are jobs like that. Um, but if I need someone with seven years of experience, I need progressive experience. You can't just keep doing the same thing. And I think that's where we get a lot of this wrong is because we look and you say, oh, you've been at that job for seven years. You must have the experience I need. But we don't test on it. You know, we just assume that, oh, you were an HR manager for seven years. Therefore, you can do an HR manager at any other job. Right. <laughs> no, that, that's a great point that you bring. That's a great point that you bring because I... I used to sit on the hiring boards and hiring teams and the whole process is the same, right? To your point as to the whole process of, okay, submit your resume, but fill out this long <laughs> piece of, I yeah. don't know how many pages you click next, next, next. And I've been doing research on this for the past two months, right? I, I went in and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a candidate. I'll apply for jobs. Yeah. And every single job that I have applied for, has, has been a case study, number one, for my research. Number two, <laughs> number two, every job is a cookie cutter, right? Every job is a cookie cutter, the job description, what they need, what they're looking for. Yep. And and I'm thinking, okay, this has not moved at all for the past, to your point, 20 years, and also for the past 30 years. And it has definitely not moved from a global perspective. It's the same cookie cutter that I've seen in in different parts of the world. And the whole process of, okay, submit your resume, and this is how much experience I'm looking for. People don't get this. It's, 
we are evolving at the rate of I'm not going to say lightning, but we are evolving <laughs> tremendously. We are. We are yeah. evolving tremendously. Technology has been evolving tremendously, but the processes have not been evolving tremendously. To your point, you need seven years of experience, but I have come across so many peers and so many colleagues where they do have 15 years of experience, but they just transfer it. You know, it's just transfer it at exactly the same way not wanting to innovate not wanting to 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 challenge that group think well and we we do that all the time because when we look at those resumes we look back we look at what is, what's the title you know oh you've you've had an hr manager title therefore you can be an hr manager um i've never had an hr manager title so I can't be an HR manager, you know, and it's you, we get stuck in that. And, and I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to say, Oh, not here. I know there are places out there that are doing it right. I do know that, yeah. but they're few and far between. <laughs> they're, you know, they're not talking about what is this job really doing? And right. one of the things that, that I've been talking with some of my colleagues on is how do we stop? We need to stop posting the job description. We need to start posting what are we really looking for, and we need to train our, our our recruiters to figure out what is the hiring manager really looking for. You're the expert. You're the HR person. You mm -hmm. need to ask the right questions. You can't just wait for the hiring manager to tell you that, and then you need to push back on things. Well, I need a bachelor's degree. Well, why do you need a bachelor's degree? Tell, tell me why. What, what does that bring to this mm -hmm. position? Um, what do you want them to be able to do? And mm -hmm. I, I've, I was, you're getting it because I read it today, but I was reading about, you know, we need to do those skills assessments. We need to do those, those work skill assessments first, you know, let them apply or even do it before they apply here, you know, show us your Excel, show us your customer service, show us some, you know, some sort of skills assessment. And then you can better rank them. Mm -hmm. based on what they're telling you from these assessments. Now, I, I haven't looked into it deeply enough to say this one's good, this one's bad, but <clears throat> we can't, we have, we've been looking at resumes for 40 years, 50 years, however long we've been having resumes and we're still getting it wrong 50% of the time. Right. So right. we need to do something different. Right. <laughs> No, I'm with you on that, right? And this is where uh, the unconscious bias comes in, right? Oh, yeah. And I am going to talk about the unconscious bias because, like, my background, I was a chemical engineer. That was my first career. I was wow. a chemical engineer. And, and I always had to work backwards, right? Always had to work backwards when designing. And, and this is a question that always we were always forced to ask. Right, forced to ask, whom am I designing for? What am I missing? Who am I missing? Right, because sometimes when we design something, that to be even a dress, right? Like you have all these fancy designers designing dresses, but they are designing for size zero women, <laughs> women like me. <laughs> Hello, I'm not size zero. So exactly, <laughs> right? Like beauty is a very singular perception, yeah. and that is exactly what unconscious bias is when designing something and i'm going to use designing in 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 the, in the recruiting process as well because when we talk about strategy when we are talking about designing something all these systems that we are designing processes that we are designing it is actually a process a product that we're designing for someone 
right, by someone. Mm -hmm. So this is where the unconscious bias comes in because we have not been taught how to challenge our own preconditioned thoughts, what we have been exposed to, right? People often think this is exactly how I must make a cookie, chocolate chip cookie. I can't use almond right. milk, right? I have to use raw milk for people, <laughs> right? What about those people who are dairy, <laughs> allergic yeah. to dairy? So this is why we need to constantly rethink and re-strategize and to challenge the the systems that are in place. There's no harm in asking why. There's no harm in pushing back. And most of the time, people think, oh, this company, Facebook, is doing it a certain way. So I have got to copy it exactly because they are right. they are fantastic. But the thing is that are they fantastic in adopting humanistic ways or are they fantastic because they have the PR ability to push their company forward? Those are two different things. Very much so. And the thing about it is what works for Facebook isn't going to work for you because you're not Facebook. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, you True. can look at them and you can, you can look at what peop, other people are doing. But I think one of the things that, you know, if you really want to be an innovative company, one of those things you can't ask is who else has done this? Where has it been successful? If you want to be innovative, if you want to be ahead of the curve, you need to be ahead of it. You know, when, when we're talking about, um, I've been doing research and writing for ERE on, um, on pay transparency and, you know, so few people because, oh, my, my competitors are going to know what they pay. Your competitors know what you pay. They do. <laughs> because the people leaving your, your place are telling your competitors what they're paying you. So they're mm -hmm. figuring it out. But make it easy for them. Say, hey, here's what we're paying. Right. You know, you're going to, that transparency, people like transparency. People want to know what's going on. And, you know, you are going to put out so much goodwill by being transparent and i think the same thing with dei in, in recruitment you know and some of what i'm you know some of this is probably not totally legal but you know why why can't we say you know what i need some i, I need some more color i need some more diversity i need we need to look different places for mm -hmm. our leadership positions because we have we still have a lot of old white guys sitting in the leader seat Right. And so we have to do something different to get different people and different thought processes processes in there, because if we keep going to the same schools and, you know, and I'm, I, you know, I'm in a very white community, I'm in a very white state, a very white area of the country. So it is a little bit harder for us. But if we keep going to the SDSUs and the NDSUs of the world, we're not going to get different people. We're not even going to get different thought processes right. by continuing to go to those same schools. Right. Not that you want to, you know, you still want to bring in those people because they want to stay, but we need, we need to start looking outside um, of where we are and bring new people in and then welcome them in and make sure they find home and community where you are. Otherwise they're going to be gone. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree with you. It, you know, you, you bring up a really important point about, you know, hiring from different universities. If we have the same people from the same universities or same communities, it's going to be a very singular thought, right? And that's, that is the catalyst for group thinking. That's the catalyst for not moving the innovation needle. You're only going to have a singular solution. The solution does not look one way. Solution, there are multiple no. solutions. And that's one of the things 
as as a chemical engineer, I learned, right? When we do experiments, when one experiment fails, you do multiple experiments to learn, to learn, okay, what are all the the different variables that contribute to getting the optimal result? Exactly. Just because one experiment fails does not mean it's a failure. Goodbye. Toodles, I'm gonna chuck you out of the community next. Right. Right. It gives us a learning opportunity as well. And I think it's it's safe to say in in the workforce, in the workplace, we have adopted a very singular mindset as to if we recruit people from I'm gonna use Harvard. I didn't get your permission to use Harvard, but never mind. This is a large share. So let's yeah. So if if we are going to recruit from Harvard, the way that they are taught in Harvard is very singular. They have a system, right? That's that is something that contributes to the fit, the fit culture. And I'm going to talk about culture fit in a moment. The fit culture, right? Because they do it exactly one way. They right. do. They speak a certain way. You write papers a certain way. You do research a certain way. You've got to abide by the rules a certain way. That's a fit. When you have so many fits coming into an environment where we say, oh, it's innovative, it's creative, it's very entrepreneurial, nope. it's not. <laughs> it's not, no. Well, and it's, I mean, it's so true. And even if you put in, because I've seen in job descriptions from a top school, well, what does top school mean? I mean, that that's very, very classist. And um, it, I, can't, I couldn't have afforded to go to Harvard I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't afford to go to even a private school in in South Dakota for my higher education. I went to a state school, and there's nothing wrong with that. I got a great education there. You know, someone going to the law school at USD is just as good as someone coming from Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to think like Harvard because they didn't go to Harvard, but they're right. still going to be a good attorney. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They still know the law. Yes. It's like you buy the same chocolate chip cookie from Harry's Tita <laughs> or or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. It's the same bloody chocolate chip cookie, right? Right. right. It's, it's going to still have the same recipe of milk. What do they use in cooking? Milk, sugar, flour, butter, butter, sugar. Um, I, I could I could probably recite yeah. the recipe I use, but yeah, you because you get but and the thing is, and sometimes that's okay because sometimes you want to know what you're getting. Right. And sometimes you need to know what you're getting. I mean, that's why McDonald's is works because <laughs> you can go anywhere in the world and you know what the quarter pounder is going to taste like. Yeah. But if you want to tout yourself as an organization that is innovative, that is is creative and is on the cutting edge and is doing new things, you can't do the same thing. You right. can't hire the same people. You can't serve a quarter pounder every time. Oh my God, no, you'll fall sick. Yeah. Fall yeah, sick. you have to change it up and you have to get different thought processes in there. You right. need to, to look for different, look at different ways. And right. even down to how are you posting your jobs and what language are you using? I mean, that's something that we've started talking about, you know, using software to de-genderize our language mm -hmm. because our language is gendered whether and, and i mean some of this like we were talking about unconscious bias there's so much of it that's just deep in that as as a woman if you see certain language out there you're just going to bypass it um you, because it's not you can tell by what they're saying that they don't want you they might yeah. not realize that that's what they're saying and that's, that's the whole problem with it. We, we don't right. know 
we can't step back from it long enough to take a look and say, what are we doing? Right. So true to your point about, you know, the language being gendered, right? That is so true. And we automate that process as well. And there are research, there are research showing that men apply for jobs even when they feel that they are not qualified for it. If they feel like, oh, I can do two out of the 10, yeah. I'll apply. And I will lie my through <laughs> my way through and they'll get the job. Right. But women, if they even if they feel like they are not qualified, even if they feel like they have five out of ten skills, they will not apply for the job. Mm -hmm. And when they apply, they get rejected. So right. there's something wrong in that in those processes to your point. So we really need to look into it. Yeah. Right. And that's why, you know, this this whole thing I I'm excited about it since I read it today. But this idea of give us let's do the skills assessment first mm -hmm. let's see where you're at first let's do this this real job assessment and then you're going to know too before you even fill out the application do you even want this job i mean that's one of the things that i really am passionate about right now is let's stop adding more hay to the pile while we're trying to find that needle we don't need more hay we need right. more needles mm -hmm. <laughs> Because there's not just one needle, there's several right. needles that could do the job. And you right. just need one of them. Right. And that brings me to the question, right? That brings me to the question. And I, and this is a question that I've always asked. Um, when I used to sit on hiring boards. And I used to get into fights with uh, hiring managers. <laughs> and and not fight as in like, oh, I'll punch you. No, fight, right. fight just verbal discussions. And my question would be, are you posting a job? For someone to do house chores or are you posting a job for that person to come in and innovate and progress their career so we need to keep this in mind because most of the jobs like i said i've been doing research for the past two months most of the jobs have been the same thing people just want someone to come in and clean up the household chores to do the same thing over and over again to take away the dirty work that managers or leadership teams do not want to do like excel sheet right and it, it it begs for the question as when we are using technology right to technology to to to, to benefit ourselves right to reduce all that monotonous repetitive cycles why aren't we automating that and then telling the person, hey, you have the liberty to morph this job, not job, but career, into whatever that you want it to be if you feel that there are any gaps in our organization, you know, propose it and then move it along. I see a few companies doing that in the form of if you feel that you don't see any jobs catered to, you know, whatever that you're, we are posting, feel free to submit your resume at the same time is that just on the surface or is that really an innovative effort, right? So that backs yeah. for the bigger question. I want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, um, I, I get where they're coming from. I do. Um, but that puts so much work on, on the candidate, you know, and we, we shouldn't, we, sh we, we can't make the candidate do all the work. We, we're already making them do all the work and now we're asking them to create their own job. Mm. You know, um, I think I, I think there's ways to do that um, in smaller organizations. Um, and, and, you know, there's ways in larger organizations too. And I've been involved in those, those interviews where, oh, we just have to do these interviews, but we already hired, you know, 
we're going to hire Bill over here, but we have to make it look like we're, you know, mm. actually choosing. Um, and I've been on both sides. I have been that candidate that comes in for the interview and then finds out, yeah, no, I'm not going to get it because you've already selected somebody. Um, but, and I've also been on the other side where it's like, no, no, we want to hire this person. Um, which, you know, I, I go back and forth on that because I get fair and you have to look and you have to, you know, do the process, but come on, let's, let's have some honesty and transparency mm -hmm. in what we're doing. Um, so I think there's, you know, and I, again, that, you know, create your own job, you see something that we're not doing here, you know, tell us, um, again, I don't like putting the onus back on the candidate to, mm -hmm. to fill those jobs, but right. I do want to have ways that I, I I would like to see better ways for us to dig in and find those, those skill sets and make sure we get the people in the right jobs. Right. Because there's a lot of times and I've done it, we've all done it. We've all said, I'm just going to take this one job and get my foot in the door because I need one, I need, uh, maybe I need a job. Um, but two, if I start here, then maybe my skills will be recognized or mm. I can, I can, take that off in another direction. Right. So I think, you know, if we can do it, kind of encourage people that way. And how can you, and that's, that's sharing our culture, that's bringing some of that transparency that you can come in and maybe you start in customer service, but we're going to talk with you about what you want. And we're going to find ways to get you to the right spot. Because right. We want to move people internally. Right. And there's some local companies here where someone with my experience can't get in because they are so good at promoting from within and they are so good at recognizing that talent. Um, you know, and there's, you know, you can go back and forth. Oh, you need some fresh, you need some fresh thought in there. <laughs> need some diversity in there, get right. some new thought processes, but it's also really good to see people promoted right? Because, and put into the spots where they can be successful, where they can right. take their skills and flourish because right. so often we are we're just in those jobs where we're just kind of doing the day in and day out and i'm just going to go home and have my glass of wine when i'm done and we're going to call it good and i'm not going to think about it anymore yeah so there's some you know i kind of go back and forth on that um but i really i don't like putting the that responsibility onto the candidate I think, yeah again i think we put too much responsibility onto the candidates to you know be this perfect candidate and, and here's how you ace the interview and you know which is basically here's how you tell the hiring manager what they want to hear so you're right. gonna lie to them they're gonna lie to you and then you're gonna start and be pissed in six months and leave <laughs> <laughs> see see so many points to talk about right now <laughs> okay so let's start with promoting from within i i think that is a fantastic fantastic uh, effort, right? That is a fantastic diversity effort. It's a retention effort, engagement effort. Yeah. Right. It, it's fabulous when people, that is part of the recruitment process. People yes. think recruiting is, is just you're in and that's it. Recruitment process goes on throughout the whole way until the person exactly. decides to leave the company or yep. passes away. I'm just right. using that as an example. But, <clears throat> but at the yeah. same time, at the same time, um, you know, you, you talk about, you know, not putting the onus on the candidate, you know, trying to create their own position. 
I, I absolutely understand that as well because it's like they are looking for this position and then when they actually write right whatever that they want to do it's mm. it's one or two pages right i've written one two white pages when i used to be a part of amazon i used to write you know white papers they used to call it to propose different job job descriptions what you want to do and it's it's not an easy task you have to research it's like a two week or three week long effort to yeah. do that Right, but when you when you submit it, and I did this experiment as well, when you submit it, you don't get a response. Oh. So that backs for the other question as to is that recruitment process broken? Right? Is that are you looking for innovation, creativity? But when people are not responding, and they come up with, oh, this is not exactly what we're looking for. Right, or the language that they use is, oh, we decide not to go with you, we have found other candidates to go with. Mm. Right, the language also <laughs> like says, sorry. It, you know. it, it, and it is, and it, you know, and it's one of those things too that, you know, I, I was talking with some people about the, the deep secrets of recruiting and it's like, you know, sometimes I don't have a good reason to reject somebody. Mm. I, I don't because I have like three really good candidates and I have to choose somebody. Yeah. Um, I feel, you know, so sometimes I don't have good feedback to give you other than I'm really sorry. We'd love to see your application again, but I, we just went with a different candidate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, you know, that's that, um, that, that's a hard thing for, for the recruiters to, because it's just like, I want to give you feedback. I want to tell you something good, something to work on, but there's nothing for you to work on. You were great. Mm-hmm. He was great too, and she was great too. And uh, sorry, we yeah. took the coin. Obviously, you know, obviously you don't, but you have to. You have to sit down and figure out who who's going to be that candidate. And and but again, that's where it's just, you know that transparency comes in. Right. But people don't buy that line because we use it all the time. Mm. We use it even if there is a reason that we're rejecting you. <laughs> So, no. we, I, you know, if we could be more transparent in the process, but I've worked for so many places where it's just like, you can't, you can't tell them anything. They're going to sue us. Okay. Well, if we're going to walk around building our processes just so we don't get sued, is that really where we want to be? Um, my, my friend, Kate Bischoff, she, uh, you know, the law is the minimum. <laughs> we can do a lot more mm -hmm. than what the law says. Right. So I, I think there's, and I think that, that again, I am going back to transparency because that is the key, I think, to helping people understand who you are as an employer, helping them make the decision to, to choose you as an employer because they are choosing us as well. Um, and being just, you know, being able to have those frank, open discussions right. with people and not right. walking all the way around it and, you know, sending the thanks but no thanks um, emails. Right. But again, you know, when you get hundred applications over a weekend for one position. <laughs> I yeah. can't look at them all. You can't. So <laughs> that brings me to the next question, right? So that is the tsunami of <laughs> resumes coming in for one job, especially now, right now. Yeah. It's, it, the pandemic has definitely caused such, uh, I'm not going to say hassle, such like such a demand for jobs. Yeah for everyone because everyone is hurting a majority of the people are hurting mm -hmm. so when we get an influx of resumes into um 
you know, automated ways or emails. My question is, why aren't resumes innovated? <laughs> right? Like we still right. follow the same method. Oh, it's just God. like hiring processes, like to write a resume and you need to change the resume according to each job description. Going back to the points that we first touched on at the beginning of this conversation, right? We are hiring for, for someone who will do something different, right? Like why is it a need to know when did you graduate out of college? That determines someone's age. <laughs> right? That determines someone's age. Right. Oh, well, which... We want to know how long you've been doing the job because that's how we're going to pay you because we pay you based on years of service. We don't pay you on how well you can do the job. Yeah. I, I, I could get on this soapbox too. <laughs> we are compensation. Oh my God. It's horrible. How we figure out how to pay somebody is horrible because we have, we've picked these ranges and then we decide how many years of experience you, you have determines where you fall in that range. But we don't look at where what kind of experience you have we don't look at how well you've done and yeah. how have you advanced and how have you done different things we just say oh well or worse we said what what were you making before mm -hmm. we'll give you an extra thousand dollars a year you know um so we we have these old antiquated ideas of how we compensate people for um for for the work they're going to do to us but then we make it a game because we don't tell you what, what we're going to pay, but we want you to apply. And then we're not going to talk about it. And if you ask about it too early, we're going to penalize you for that because you asked about it too early. Um, I was, I, I was likening it to dating. And you know, um, when you're dating somebody and then you, everyone has their own idea of when it's okay to have sex when you're dating. I'm just going to come out and say it. Yeah, yeah. How many dates? How many dates does it take before it's okay for you to have sex? It's the same thing with recruitment and asking about salary. Everybody has their own idea of when is it okay to ask about salary. I got into a conversation with somebody on Twitter and they just kind of dismissed me because I don't know what I'm talking about. When I said, you as the recruiter should be bringing up the salary in the very first conversation if it's not posted. Right. And they came back like, well, what if they're really great and I want to hire them for something else? Then they shouldn't be applying for the job that they don't want that salary for. We need to be honest with candidates about this is what we're going to pay. This is what this job is worth to us. If you agree, then come work for us. If you don't agree, then you should probably go work somebody someplace else because the worst candidate experience is getting through that entire recruitment process. I had one once for a CEO of a small hospital in Montana. They would not let me talk salary. They flat out said, no, you can't bring it up. He came out for a three day interview. So we paid all that expense. We had all the expense of everything that went on. Mm -hmm. got to the offer process. He wanted 30 grand more a year than we were going to offer. Then we could offer. It was 30 grand above our max. So we just wasted all his time. We wasted all the time of our board members, our CEOs, our other leaders to interview this guy when we could have stopped it. Right. Two months ago. 
by saying right. this is what we're going to pay. This is what this is the range that we're going to be in. Right. And training me to have that conversation up front to be able to look at somebody's resume and say, we're probably going to pay you between this and this. Can you work between this and this? Can we work mm. with that? They might be thinking the top of that range. So let's talk. Let's be realistic about the range we give them. And then we can negotiate. And then we come to the negotiation floor on an even keel. You know, imagine if you went to McDonald's and you didn't know what anything cost. <laughs> I want a Big Mac. Okay, well, what are you willing to pay for a Big Mac? No, why don't you just tell me what it costs? And I'm in healthcare, so I feel like I can say the same thing because healthcare is that whole, I mean, that same example of right. you don't know what anything costs when you go walk in the door. But I think we need to be more open on the, on that. And that's going to get you know, that goes into diversity as well, right? Because we're showing when we're, to, when we're transparent about what we're paying people, no one can say that we're paying someone else more because they are white or because they are male, mm -hmm. because we're telling everybody, this is what we pay for this job. You're an entry-level customer service person. We're going to pay, we pay 15, 13 to seven, $15 an hour. That's where, that's our range. That's what we're looking and that's the level of experience we're looking for too. Right. You know, so we need to be transparent and then we're going to get the right people. We're going to get who we're looking for. That's going to fit. Speaking of culture fit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. No, no, I love what you mentioned about the pay, right? Like being really transparent and upfront about it because when we are not upfront about it, then we don't get to get the information and move candidates. It's, it's a waste of time as well. And to be honest with people, right? Um, yeah. so, and and I, I, I'm terrible. I, I'll be the first to admit, I'm terrible at it. I can tell you what to do and I can give everyone else advice of what to do. I am terrible at my own salary. <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, right, you mentioned about, you know, paying people for for their skills, for what they are truly worth. Also, to also start start paying with equity, right? Because we, the pay scale has not really gone up. We're still paying people ten, eleven dollars minimal wages, which is not even sufficient for them to pay rent. So let's say if if someone makes ten dollars an hour, eleven dollars an hour, right? Minimal wages, like a customer service job or, or working as a cashier. And they don't have the time. They're forced to go, go get a job because of whatever situation that they are in. And let's say you calculate it to one month's one month's paycheck, you will get roughly get around a thousand, thousand seven hundred dollars, right? Wow, if you do it yeah. every time, whatnot. And then you pay taxes. You're left with one thousand two hundred dollars. If rent a month, of rent is one thousand six hundred dollars a month, you are already. $400 shop to pay yep. rent. Where are your groceries? Right. Where are your bills? Right. Like, it's not sustainable. It's so when we speak not. about pay, right, pay equity and paying someone, and we should not talk about how much we pay our candidates because we don't want other companies to know about it. No, people should know about it. Yeah. Because 70 to 80% of awake time, of a person's awake time is spent at work. Right, that leaves twenty percent of the time for them, and that leaves like four to six hours for for one person per day. Four right. to six hours, right? Yeah. 
Yep. So I'm just going to take four hours. So let's say you come back home at 6 or 7 p.m. because you're stuck in traffic. 7 till 10 p.m. or 7 till 11 p.m. That's four hours, three or four hours. You shower, you make dinner, right? You want to decompress. You don't want to think about anything. You go to bed, you rinse, repeat. And then you only get the weekend to do stuff. and Not even the weekend. Right. You get Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, people are back into that low yeah, thing. Right back into that. And, and when you are making minimum wage, you, you don't even have the means to get out of that. Right. You don't have the ability because then, you know, you want to move up and those jobs are requiring training and they're, they're requiring, you know, you know, I'll pick on HR where people are touting, you know, the certification. It's four to $500 just to get the certification. Mm-hmm. And then it's $150 every three years to maintain it while doing education those three years. It is a privilege to be mm-hmm. able to pay for that. It is a privilege to be able to sit for those exams because they're not easy. So you also no. want to do prep courses, which are not free. So, I mean, it's, you know, I did it 15 years ago. I paid $900 for my review course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On top of, I think back then, I think it was 300 to sit for the exam. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And not everyone can afford that. And so I think, you know, that's kind of where, you know, when we're talking about this, you know, opening up and making sure that you're putting out there in your jobs, what you really need, what are you looking for? And, you know, do you have positions where someone can learn and grow on the job? Do you have the ability to help them do that? Let's get that out there. Let's not hide it. Let's be proactive and sharing with people. We want to help you grow. We want to hear, you know, we're going to bring you in at an entry-level position. We're going to help train you, help you get certified in that entry-level position. And then here's where you can go. Right. You do a terrible job of telling people right. where they can go. Right. No, that's so true. And even when people come in as entry-level jobs, right, and most of the time people are qualified. They have 15 years of experience, right. like, you know, like diverse experience. They took the job because they needed the job. Uh-huh. And then when someone comes in as an entry-level, right, that label gets it's a stigma it's a it it, it is a stigma people often say oh you're entry level you don't know anything Uh right because again we have all this preconceived notion that we learned from somewhere entry level people do not know anything right Right. but but right now we are in in the current era an entry level person can know how to to create a a website can know how to create a, a podcast Right. Might have hundred episodes of of podcasts talking about diversity, talking about HR, talking about strategy, right? Yeah. Entry level jobs are nowadays are taken up by people who need the job, who need to pay rent, who, to your point, right. who are trying to get their foot in the door yeah. and trying to move up the level. That that's all part of the recruiting processes that we need to widen our DEI lens. Mm-hmm. Now. Oh, for sure. Now, that brings me <laughs> to the question of right, what are some actionable steps we can take to humanize the, the recruiting process? Uh, uh, it's a hard one. Because, you know, so here's the thing, because I, I, I 
I work in a large organization and I've almost always worked in large organizations where you're almost as a recruiter, you're almost in a factory mode where you're just looking at resumes, looking at resumes, looking at blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. and people are so scared. And I hear this all the time where people are like, Oh, the, 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 the ATS rejected me. They, the ATS won't even let my, my resume through. I, I got a rejection letter too, too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, which then we as recruiters are forced to, I call us, you know, play that used car salesman game and like, okay, well, these people aren't qualified, but I'm not going to send them the rejection letter just yet because then they'll think the ATS rejected them. So I want them to think that a real person looked at them. So, which is BS. So we're playing a game. So we need to be more upfront about it. And that's why I would love to see true, more AI, true AI that is helping that that can look at the resumes that can really tell you are they meeting the qualifications are they are they what you're looking for which then backs up to the recruiter and the hiring manager having those real deep in conversations about what are you really looking for what do you really need not right. every not every position needs those in-depth conversations you know if you're hiring a nurse you don't need to know in depth right. what they're going to need each and every time but there's some positions where you know I can look at I can look at it right now. I could go online and tell you which positions you're going to have 100 applications for that overnight. Just of how it's written, it, you know, mm-hmm. no experience, no degree, that's going to explode on you right. because you haven't told them anything about the actual job. Mm-hmm. So we need to back up and give those good, true um, job previews so that people know what they're getting into once before they even apply. Because everyone, no one likes filling out that application. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Not a single person. I don't care how easy you've made it. <laughs> we don't. Nobody <laughs> likes it. So, you know, taking it back. And then if you have that good information in there, then letting the AI sort it out for you so that those top candidates do come to the top of your pile. I don't want AI to reject anybody. Mm-hmm. I want them to sort them for me. Who do I need to look at first? Um, using those skills assessments before I look at them, before I decide to apply, you know, don't, don't make them do the, the Excel test, the, the word test after you've interviewed them. Because you've already gone through that bias. You've already, right. already hit your bias. Do all of that first. And then when they come to you, you'll see the cream of the crop at the top. And then look at them. And those right. are the ones that you can spend some time with. And that's where the humanization comes in. And if you're upfront and transparent with people that this is what's happening, they're not going to get upset with the Mm -hmm. robo rejection because Mm -hmm. they're going to know, all right, you looked at my skills. My skills don't match. You didn't just read my resume and say, oh, well, you've never been an HR manager, so you can't be one now. You've looked at my skills. So then I, as the recruiter, have time because I don't have to look at those hundred applications. I just have to look at these 10. And do phone screens with these 10 and have meaningful conversations with them, you know, 15, 20 minute conversation about what are they looking for? Who are they? What do they want? And then get them to the hiring manager. So hiring manager has two to three to look at and getting those hiring managers out of the idea. Cause I've had hiring managers. I want to see every candidate. Well, why am I here? Exactly. <laughs> I want to see every candidate. Why am I here? Here you go. You can see them all. But <laughs> Letting, you know, letting the recruiters be recruiters, letting people who source candidates, let them source the candidates that really are going to match as opposed to just looking for, oh, well, you have a bachelor's degree. Let's call you. 
but let's do some of that work up front. Let's let the AI do a lot of that. And what the research has found is that the further away you are from the actual offer, mm-hmm. the less people care about having an AI, having talking to a robot. So at the beginning of the process, they don't care. And then after they're offered and they're onboarding, they care less about that touchy-feely as well. They're okay mm. with a robot walking them through that online onboarding. We need people. I'm not saying we're getting rid of people from onboarding. No, 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 no. Yeah. That. But filling out that paperwork, you don't mm-hmm. need a human up there telling you how to fill out an I-9 or how to fill out your direct deposit or mm-hmm. how to sign up for, for medical benefits, um, unless you want to. I mean, if you have questions, but, you know, for me, if I'm signing up for medical then I don't want to talk to somebody about that. I know what I want. I'm just going to just, just let me do it. Yeah. Um, don't, don't make me walk through your process. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some of that freedom. So I think, you know, if we can use AI on either side of the recruitment process, then recruiters and sourcers and, and your HR admin people have time to spend with the candidates and talk mm-hmm. with them and find out, you know, make sure you're making that right fit and get to know the candidate and then you can also be that person that says, you know, this job isn't quite right for you, but maybe we have something else. And you can do that sourcing and sharing and, and being more um, helping people as opposed to just order filler, which right. a lot of recruiters were just, they're just order fillers. And yeah. most of them don't want to be. <laughs> there's a few, there's a few out there that are like, yeah, yeah, butts in seats, butts in seats. Right. Um, but if we, and part of that, but part of that is because I don't have time to do anything but put a button in the seat because I have 150 applications over here that I still have to go through. I just need to fill these jobs. So if we can use AI to get rid of some of those crappy things that we have to do, but we don't want to, and I, AI can, and a computer can, that's what, you know, you're talking about reports. Why, why aren't our HCMs giving us the reports we need? Right. You know, why can't I push a couple of buttons and, and get the report I need? Why do I have to go all the way down here, ask Joe for the information, and then I get it in an Excel spreadsheet, which I still have to manipulate? We're paying millions of dollars for an HCM. Why can't it just do it for us? Right, <laughs> right. No, that's that's a valid question. That's a very valid question. And in the past, you know, in the past, I've seen like from teams that I was part of, right? I love automating data. I love automating data because it's quick. It's it, it's easy. You don't need to spend two hours trying to download and manipulating it. And most of the time, I've seen like from past experiences managers or team members love manipulating it to report the wrong type of information when presenting because it directly correlates to their performance of a job because it, it it's transparent right it transpar- it's transparent in a way that it shows that we have not met the goals we have not been meeting recruiting people we have not been meeting bringing in the X number of Right. Of amounts so where and this is it all brings down to the point that you mentioned about transparency right when we are transparent in nuanced ways everything becomes humanized right processes 
gets humanized as well. And transparency is just not about, this is what is going on. Transparency is also being about honesty, right? Honesty, like communicating honestly, even if it means that, okay, I've failed. Even if it means that this is not working and we need to get rid of, that whole thing about, oh, it's not working, I don't need to show that I've failed, is the ego. We need to be transparent in ways that we have to be able to be very honest and we have to <laughs> to put our egos aside and say, hey, it's not about me. Like 1% is about me because I am in this job, but trying to innovate and whatnot. But it is right. also about people who are coming in. It's also about people who are existing in the organization. It's also about people whom we are impacting as a business so it it, is just not from a very singular lens so yeah it is you know when we talk about diversity in recruitment it's just not about you know getting different genders or different race or different nationalities it's also about the processes it's also about how are we treating people uh, how are we not treating people right how are we not innovating processes Right. So well, those are you're all... not good. Yeah, and you're not going to attract different if you're doing things the exact same way that you've always done them. Yeah. And you know, and and I understand. I you know, I get that you want to go with something that works. You want to find what works for you as an organization, and you know, we we track that all the time. And but sometimes we have to be willing to step outside and right. and say, you know, we we need to try this or we need to try it again. Because just because something didn't work two years ago, um, are, are we even in the same place as a country, as a world, as we were two years ago? Right. You right. know, it's a completely different world. I mean, we're, even if we were just in a recession, <laughs> it's a different place. And so I think right. that's where, you know, we can, this is, this is a really good time too for organizations to take a step back and say, who do we want to be coming out of this? Mm-hmm. Because I, and I've I've personally been through two large recessions in my adult life, and both times came out of it, everything stayed the same. Now's the time to change. Right. Right. Now, Absolutely. Now's the time. Let's do something different because the last two times we ended up in the exact same place. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. it's a little different uh, you know you know you can't predict a, pa- a global pl- pandemic by any stretch of yeah imagination. um but a lot of the other things i think could have if you if you were looking and watching I, the, a lot of a lot of the other things that are happening right now were very predictable very very predictable right no that, that's so true and especially now right now with the pandemic and with the epidemic of discrimination and racism a lot of organizations are coming forward to say hey we are an ally and advocate of diversity and i have a message to organizations doing that please do embrace and advocate for diversity from a very humanistic genuine level as opposed to approaching it from a pr stunt because there are a lot of organizations jumping on the bandwagon and saying, okay, I need to apply for this. I need to hire diversity. So my organization does not look as though we are not advocating for it. Right. right. So the intention needs to come from a very humanistic perspective. And the intention of building a diverse organization environment needs to be 
a safe space as well. A safe space where you can innovate, where you can fail, where everyone is accepted and not not build this environment of exclusive inclusion. We need right. to build a space of accepting inclusion and that is how diversity gets triggered. Yeah. This has been such a phenomenal <laughs> discussion, Wendy. It is just It has been. Yeah, it, it has been. It has been. It's been Thank well this is this has been so much fun to just, you know, talk with you about this and we could probably go on for hours and hours. But I think that I you know, and I, I think it's good that you are out there helping to normalize having these conversations, Mila. I appreciate that that you are and that you've invited me to to be a part of it because it's it's something that I'm really uncomfortable talking about because it's not something that I grew up with. And mm -hmm. so being able to have the conversations and, um, and, and talk with you and other people about this, um, not to make it about me by any stretch, no, no. But, <laughs> but it's good to, I, I think it's good to have this middle-aged white lady talking about it and helping to normalize that conversation. Right. And, and wanting to share your voice as well, because you're someone that needs to be out there. You're out there and sharing it. And so, you know, making sure that we're, again, normalizing the conversation that these are okay things to talk about. Right. Right. No, I'm with Ian. Thank you for coming on because yeah. it's, it's, my mission is to eliminate poverty of the mind and heart. Right. And, and how can we eliminate that is by really designing and diving deep into systemic issues and not treat diversity as an isolated team exactly. as though it belongs in the diversity, it, it, as though it belongs in the basement. <laughs> Beside, no, It needs to be across everything. It needs right. to be across everything you do and it needs to be at the forefront of everything you do. And right. I really, you know, um, Elena Valentine, love her, love her. Um, you know, she's out there saying, you can't be it if you can't see it. And so right. we need to be intentional about right. putting those things out there, about normalizing the conversation, talking about it, seeing it, sharing it, so that other people can be it, so other people can can rise up. Right. No, I'm with you. And, yeah, like to your point, it's, you know, diversity needs to be integrated into everything because yes. people often think that culture is a separate thing, people are a separate thing, diversity is a separate thing. No. All of these three things combine together to create an environment and contribute to whom a person is, right? There's a there's culture in everyone, there's diversity in everyone, there's a beating heart in everyone. So we need to start approaching it from that perspective, right? How a person shows up, how a person exists on earth, because a person just does not show up one day and say, hey, I belong at home. It's like, because we have created, we have created an environment in such a way that when a person is born, they are progressed into the education system. They are then progressed into the work system. Then they are progressed into the communities that they belong to at a larger scope into the nation that they belong to. Everywhere that they show up, it's going to impact them if there's no diversity. It's going to impact them if the culture does not benefit them or it, the culture is built to fit someone, right? And not right. certain people. So yeah. we need to rethink culture. Thank you again, yes. Wendy, for being here. Really appreciate it. So happy to be here. For viewers, listeners out there, if you are tuning in, please do give it a like, thumbs up, subscribe on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, and on LinkedIn. 
and you can find Wendy Daly on Twitter. She hosts HR Social uh, every Sunday, correct? Um, we uh, we chat every other Sunday, the second and fourth Sunday of each month. Um, we have a variety of um, fun events. This last Sunday we had Trivia Night, um, just trying to get people together. And then every Thursday morning, a new podcast comes out. So, um, and I think, I think this week is Torin Ellis. Um, so if you have not heard him, definitely tune in because he is awesome. He is Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, be sure to follow Wendy. I'll put up the link on YouTube as well. Thank you again, everyone, for joining. Yeah. Thank you, Wendy, for being here. Till next time, we will see you on Rethink Culture again.